Welcome to the Disrupt Education Podcast. I'm Peter Hostrasser, your host. Hey, thank you so much for joining us today. Do me a favor, hit that subscribe button. That way you can get all the podcasts first when they come out. Also, if you get a chance, hit up disrupteducation.co or peterhostrasser.com and you can see everything, all my blogs, all the connections. Hey, we can reform education there. Also, if you get a little bit more time, Head over to getahallpass.com. It's a great company. They are putting together academia and reality, and a lot of cool things are coming that way. On today's podcast, I have Pam Roy. Pam describes herself as a meaningful education advocate. She's the co-founder of the Frank, Victor Frankel Institute of America and the co-author of Inspiring Wisdom of Victor Frankel, a 21-day reflection book about meaning. It'll be coming out in August 2020. She writes an education blog for parents called Pam Roy Blog and co-hosts a podcast called Q-Ed Up with Ziz and Pam. Powerful conversations about what it means to be educated in the 21st century. Coming up after the break, we're going to be talking about all that. Talking about who Viktor Frankl was, who's a psychologist and a Holocaust survivor and wrote The Man's Search for Meaning which is considered to be one of the most influential books in America. It basically still appears on Amazon's top 100 list 70 years later. Hey, this is going to be a great podcast. Stay with us right after the break. We talk with Pam. Hey, folks, Hall Pass Education in the house. So you're starting out in life. Maybe you finished school or you haven't even started, but you don't quite know what direction to go in. And you've landed in the hallway and you need some partnership. So, Peter, what do you do then? We write you a pass and we give you the opportunity to take control of your next steps. But in order to take control of your next steps, you're going to need some guidance. You're going to need some people with very different backgrounds to give you different lenses to see what these doors of opportunities look like. That's where we come in at Hall Pass. Right, Audrey? Our diverse perspectives comes together. So education reimagined. We are in the cracks and crevices of your life, and we are connecting the dots between education and what it takes to function in today's world. So check us out at getahallpass.com. The Disrupt Education vlog can be found on YouTube. To hear it in podcast form, search Disrupt Education on any of the following podcast platforms. Anchor, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Breaker, CastBox, Overcast, Radio Public, Pocket Cast, Spotify, or Stitcher. Welcome to this episode of Disrupt Education. I have the Pamela Roy here with us today. Thank you so much for being uh, on the podcast, Pamela. I am so excited. You can call me Pam. Okay. Uh, yes. I am really excited to be here, and I love what you're doing. I love what you're about. I love the title of your uh, podcast series and your hall pass and everything else. So I'm really thrilled to be here with you. Thank you. Thank you. So let's jump in. Uh, who are you and what are you about? Let's, that's a huge question. Where do you want to start? Yeah, well, you're asking someone who has been a, a work in progress here for a long time. 
and uh, learning as I'm going, my, my greatest teachers being my children. So I actually was a, uh, married late. I didn't marry until I was 35. So I had my kids when I was in my late 30s, early 40s. And uh, prior to that was a businesswoman, investor, you know, real world experience of what was going on. And I suddenly have my kids who uh, go into the education system and get taken away from me with all these things and busyness and things they have to do. And so I decided that this was not going to be a life for our family or for my children if they could not play. So the only thing I wanted was no homework. Yeah. So when they were in kindergarten, first and fourth grade, I found a for-profit alternative school with mm-hmm. three classrooms, kind of like the one, kind of like the micro schools that are getting, uh, you know, coming up today. Mm-hmm. And it was um, this little academy whose vision was to just expose them to write no multiple tests, choice tests, no standardized. They just. Uh, wrote a lot. They wrote a lot. They engaged. They played a lot. (laughs) So anyway, so I um, kind of was one of those that was looking at all this busyness happening and thinking, this is not going to develop the skill set for my children. This is going to really uh, depress them (laughs) if they have to keep fitting into somebody else's example. So so I started 14 years ago with this journey of kind of being the, I called it the salmon upstream, just Mm -hmm. going, whoa, this is not life. This is not preparing them for life. And um, when I grew up, uh, of course, school didn't have the role that it had now. There wasn't the testing. There wasn't the finite answers. So, and we have a great family, big extended family. And my uh, children's grandparents lived, uh, you know, just within uh, a day's drive. And, And so we spent a lot of time with them. And the idea that my children couldn't be a part of their extended family mm. because uh, they were busy doing uh, things was um, not an option. I wrote actually an article for the Aspen Institute that was in the uh, uh, Ed Week about this, that mm-hmm. we looked at that and said, what's more valuable, this time with the children and their grandparents and mm. extended family and socializing or content, yeah. of course. You know, and the time. So it's really a challenge for parents to decide their priorities of time and values. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that kind of led where we went in, in our family life. So anyway, so my children, uh, we put them in this alternative education, multi-grade, multi-age, multi-level. Um, and they thrived. Yeah. And we... You know, we're fortunate enough to be able to travel with them to expose them to some different cultures mm-hmm. and along the curriculum uh, of what they were learning. And it really was was fun to watch them be engaged in, in their learning process. It's it's funny now because everybody's in that realm of what's going on, what's happening. And, um, you know, it is it is very hard to put the student first uh, these days, especially at a parent. Um, we had these conversations previous to the podcast. Um, we got to talk about Victor. You got to introduce yeah. Victor to people. <laughs> I got to bring him in. And, so let uh, me fast forward. Yeah. Right, right. So, you know, as your your kids are growing, um, you have uh, in college, are they in the college age? I don't even want to. Like, yeah. So yeah, now, right now I have two in college, one in graduate school. Right. And then, so then you've kind of transferred into, hey, you know what? I'm going to be a, a, a person who is going to look for different avenues for everybody and help kind of, I always call it equality in education because we're trying to figure out different ways that um, outside of this box that we have. Tell us about that journey. 
Yeah, I will. And I'll, I'll tell you how it led up to the Viktor Frankl stuff, because yeah. here I am in this system. Here I am fighting for my children's right to a childhood, the right to be who they are and not fit into a system. There's a difference between fitting in and belonging. And so when my uh, my first daughter goes to college, so we're all college, right? We're going to get, you know, this is what you have to do to be able to make it in life. And I'm drinking the Kool-Aid like everybody else, right? So my kids are going to do this. I'm going to prepare them for college. And then when my younger daughter was in high school, uh, I ended up going, I was so concerned with the mental health and wellness of students that I decided to go get a master's in school counseling and figure out how I can help in this situation. So I got accepted to a program at NYU that was the first online uh, program, first cohort, and it gave me, whoa, uh, a look inside the college system, the silo um, of that system, what was accreditation was doing for even the professors that knew and wanted to change the accreditation system is an anchor uh, in being able to have them quickly evolve to how fast the world is evolving. So I finished the coursework, do everything, and I was supposed to do an internship. And I sit in a, a room with uh, parents in, in my practicum, and their kid's so depressed, can't get out of bed. Mm -hmm. the, the answer is we're going to get him more tutoring. We're going to put him on a track that he can, um, you know, be more easy, you know, sort of kind of define him as this unintelligent compared to the rest of them. Mm -hmm. And I just thought, wow, he's perfect. He's just amazing. He knows it's boring. It's irrelevant. So I started a blog. I just thought, I'm just going to start writing about what I'm seeing, what I'm experiencing, not only from the real world end. Mm -hmm. I read Thank You for Being Late by Thomas um, Friedman, that, whoa, we are not in Kansas anymore, <laughs> right? And then I read End of Average by Todd Rose, which is, you cannot standardize human beings. So anyway, fast forward, and a friend of mine, uh, who was actually acquaintance at the time, says, hey, have you ever read Man's Search for Meaning? like one of my favorite books of all time. And he just says, well, I know his grandson, and I was talking about your blog, can we go to lunch with him? So this begins the journey of, we go to lunch and we're like this, that, about we can't choose, you know, you can't treat human beings like robots. Right. And so I wrote a blog called The Real Cost of a Meaningless Education. Anyway, he was working on a film project with Straight Up Films. Uh, these, um, and they were doing, trying to stop the suicide rate of mm -hmm. kids by doing something in the film uh, arena. And he says, well, hey, can you go meet with these producers? And I thought, I'm not a fan of Hollywood. Okay, this was, <laughs> I was like, really? Really? They're gonna, okay, well, I meet these women and, and I am floored. They're my tribe, they're my people. Nice. They are amazing women. And we talk for, uh, I think, six hours about everything that's happening and Viktor Frankl and um, so uh, we developed a film series, which we'll talk about in a minute. Mm -hmm. But basically, Viktor Frankl's premise, and once I started really diving into this, I, <laughs> uh, it applies to everything, which is why I call myself the meaningful education advocate, mm -hmm. because meaning is at the center to all of us. And according to Viktor Frankl, human beings are so unique that you can't put them in systems 
that try to manufacture, even in corporate systems. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, anything that's institutional that focuses on output treats human beings as an object, mm. right? And he, in his original thesis, which I just read last night, <laughs> talked about you cannot classify human beings in these mass groups. You can't do it by race. You can't do it by religion because they're comprised of so much individuality. Not only that, that each person is so unique and individual that they have to discover meaning for themselves. Mm. It cannot be given. It cannot be assigned. It cannot be trained. It is this process of human beings going from who they are to who they ought to be in the world or who they want to be in the world that is what gives their life meaning. And so I'm floored by this. I'm like, oh my gosh, how does this work? Here we have human beings that he was saying, if you put human beings and treat them like an object and use them as either robots or rats, right? The rat model of behavior, mm -hmm. robots is that we can program them it will lead to a lot of distress mm -hmm. because humans are not just a mind and a body. They have this human spirit mm -hmm. and this is what separates them from animals. We have a human spirit, which the conscience is the guide mm -hmm. and this conscience is what helps them discover meanings in their life, right? And uh, when Viktor Frankl defines meaning, you know, the first time I read this, I'm like, huh? <laughs> um, was meaning is what was what is meant. Mm -hmm. And you're like, well, that was helpful. I don't think <laughs> so. Basically, as I've come to really dive deep in this, meaning is what is meant for that individual in that individual circumstance that leads them toward the ultimate meaning of what they're like. You know, we're all part of the framework. Some right. people call it God. Some people call it universe. Some people call it ecosystem. Some people call it universe. Whatever it is, it's, we're more than this. Mm -hmm. And that we have uh, tasks to perform towards our purpose, which mm -hmm. people will call purpose, that, um, that we're called to do in our individual circumstances, yeah. right? right? So when you take that, he was like, so if you put them into a manufactured system, he called it mechanistic system, mm. industrialized system, which we started only doing a hundred <laughs> years ago, right? So suddenly you do this and what happens to the human being? even in corporate America, mm -hmm. where people are disengaged and unhappy. So we've done it in our school system because, gee, if they get a job, they're going to be happy mm -hmm. as if happy is a goal. Right. Victor Francis said happiness is a byproduct, can never be a goal because the it's an emotion and life happens. Mm -hmm. So really, we should be teaching them how to um, pursue their meaning, which will give them a reason to be happy. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. And for him, meaning could be found in an activity, a creation. You do something that you really, really are putting out into the world that's really important to you. It can be an experience. It can be a peak, you know, hiking in nature and really, really feeling that energy. It can be in a relationship with someone that you love and you care about. And, you know, having kids, you know, mm -hmm. certainly provides meaning. And if in those situations that you can't control it, you have cancer. Mm -hmm. Somebody you love, you have cancer. You just lost your job. Then your only control, and you still have freedom of choice, is in your ability to decide mm. how you're going to look at it, right? Yeah. It's your attitude. And that is what, throughout his experience in the Holocaust, was, uh, you know, it was his ability to have his why, yeah. 
uh, and to adjust his attitude uh, while he was in this. So his argument was the reason for the distress is that when you dehumanize human beings, it creates a void in them. Mm. And this void gets filled, and he called this void the existential vacuum. Mm -hmm. This void gets filled with aggression, depression, and addiction. We numb ourselves. We don't know what to do, mm-hmm. right? So, uh, so he was saying it's the framework of the education system itself, or any system that we have that's an institutionalization of human beings, where output is focused on, and they are become an object: the worker, the student, the uh, you know whatever that classification is that dehumanizes that individual who needs to be seen, who needs to be motivated to pursue something in their life and it's always coming in he said education is about teaching them to decide and see for themselves Mm -hmm. where they go it's about authentic and individual decision making that you can only do if you're quiet enough to listen to your conscience right Right? and so when you're so busy producing (laughs) like you're a widget what happens so i read this this is this is really victor frankel was born in 1905 right right so by the time the Holocaust hit, he, and he became, by the way, he was a self-directed learner. Mm-hmm. He was an honor student until junior high school. Junior high school comes around and he suddenly gets inspired by psychology. And he takes adult classes <laughs> in applied psychology in junior high school. Mm-hmm. His grades, of course, plummet. He's so interested in all these other things that he's learning about outside. And at that time they could do. And then he starts a correspondence with Sigmund Freud. Yeah. When he's a teenager in high school at age 16, then he gets published and then he goes, no, this isn't quite right. This is, you know, people aren't just trying to pursue pleasure. Right. There's more, you know, to them. And then he and Adler broke off from Alfred Adler, mm-hmm. individual psychology. And he's like, oh, this is good. And then he's like, no, this isn't good. So by 22, he's realizing that human beings need to have meaning. Their primary motivation for living is to discover meaning. And it's a discovery process, right? Right. And so he starts writing his theory. He's a psychiatrist. He specializes in suicide patients. His All his work is done in psychiatric hospitals and suicide wards. Mm -hmm. He creates counseling centers for distressed youth when he was still a medical student. Mm -hmm. And um, he writes this theory that... um, is called logotherapy, which is about healing for meaning, how you rehumanize human beings, right. how you can't reduce them to just a mind and body. That And so he creates this book that is confiscated at Auschwitz. So he was 37 when he went into the Holocaust. People mm-hmm. think he developed his theory in the Holocaust, but it actually was proven in there to him that his theories worked because it wasn't the strongest the fittest the whatever it was the people who had their why yeah. which is a you know uh to live that sir that to the best of their abilities could survive and um so anyway so i'm a geek now so i'm <laughs> all over this i uh have gone knee deep um i co-founded the victor franklin institute of america with right. his grandson uh alexander vesley who's a filmmaker and a local therapist himself mm-hmm. uh i wrote a book the inspiring wisdom of Victor Frankl, a 21 day reflection book about meaning right. to bring, he was such a technical person yeah. uh, that it's hard to read 
some of his, he was a medical doctor. He talked to medical <laughs> audiences and academics. And so it's to bring this essence of his philosophies and ideas to, um, to modern times. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I have a best friend of 41 years uh, and she's like, Pam, let's do this together. This is gonna be great. And she was inspired by it as well. So we wrote this book together, her name's Maura Hummel. And it, it was great great to write that with her and now we're doing the film so all this stuff really to kind of say hey we have to look at humans as human beings mm -hmm. not as objects not as having the goal of just getting a job and if you have money you're going to be fine in life right right and i think that uh and also that the world is finite you just fill it in in a bubble and that's it yeah. and and victor frankel was so worried about the uh, ramification of this process. And he said, this is going to lead to two things. Either people are going to have to conform to fit mm -hmm. in because they won't know how to be different, mm -hmm. or they're going to be susceptible to indoctrination because they or being told what to do mm -hmm. by someone else because they don't know how to think for themselves. And education should be about them learning to think for themselves, make decisions, and proceed through life. Right. like that based on their conscience right? right so they have freedom of choice but they also have responsibleness not responsibility because mm -hmm. sometimes that's contextual but responsibleness to do what is right by by humanity and so you need both ends of that it's it's interesting because in in today's times right like i remember i i have a quote and i'm sure it was said before and it was like teach students before subjects, you know, and and we were, we were talking about, OK, Simon Sinek's why all these things are coming from Dr. Frankel. It's it's amazing. How many times do you hear something in today's world like that was written X amount of years ago? It's yes. got to be. Yes. Yeah. So, and actually, his basis came through philosophy. Right. He went on after he was a um, psych. He went through the medical schools, specializing in psychiatry and, and neurology, and then he went back and got his PhD in philosophy. Hmm. And so he calls himself someone who's been able to go through different schools, not only in academia but real life. Yeah. Uh, through his experience, and I think that's what distinguishes him from almost any other. Um, you know, person who has a psychology theory and his mm. theory is not just for psychologists. It's a philosophy mm. of life, which is what was so appealing to Moore and I when we were writing that book mm -hmm. is, oh my gosh, <laughs> really? Coming up after the break, Pam and I will dive a little bit deeper into really what it means to be educated in the 21st century. Hey, stick around. We'll be right back after the break. Thank you so much for hanging around. If you have a child who's passionate about getting into a really great college, you take him to an SAT coach. If you have a child who's really passionate about playing basketball, you take him to a basketball trainer. But if you have a kid whose passion is off-brand or is trying to find their passion and ignite it, you need to take him to Peter Hostrauser. When I was a junior in high school, I began making videos on YouTube. We're doing something in my small business management class that has never really been done before. It wasn't before long that I met Peter Hostrauser, the small business management teacher who helped put me on a course of entrepreneurship, one of which has been the most uplifting 
and passionate journeys of my life. Peter is a master at pinpointing passions and opening doors for the youth who need just one correct move to set them in the right direction. He will triple down on their strengths, help them build their network and portfolio, and most importantly, help them utilize these learning points so that they can make money with their passion to live their dream life. I, as well as many others, can honestly say that we wouldn't be where we are without his business and coaching expertise. If you're looking to help your student ignite their passion, contact Peter Hostrauser at phostrauser at gmail.com. It's, it's amazing because also, you know, as a, as a young person, um, reaching out to Freud and, and doing these things and going deep into something because they're self-starters, self-learners. Um, I don't really want to categorize, but that's just the term I'm going to use. But, you know, I think in education, one of the things that we see, and I just interviewed a 15-year-old uh, who is in Europe, and, and he's just doing some amazing things. Um, also, uh, I was involved in getting a young person who had a lot of challenges in the traditional system. We got him PSM1 certified because he really liked that. Um, and it always comes to what you've just said. You know, it always comes to somebody really understanding who they are um, rather than fitting into a box and then just going deep and having the freedom to do that. Um, with all that being said, it's, it's funny how we all get like, amazed that there's a 10 year old that did this or a a 15 year old that did this or even a three year old that did this. Um, It is, it's mindset, right? It's all written here. So how do you, how do you, how do you visualize education going forward? That's a big question. It's Um, a big question and it's an exciting question because when I was looking for my, for my children to look at options in my area for something outside of this traditional system, mm-hmm. I had like three choices, right? And all of them were whatever. Now there's 34 or 33 or 34 different um, charter schools. There's all these independent schools. Mm-hmm. There's the homeschooling, the unschooling. There's um, blended online programs. So I happen to be somebody who is super duper excited um, by what is happening in education. And even especially, um, are you familiar with Big Picture Learning? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So phenomenal program that starts with honoring the individual Mm -hmm. and putting them in real world context Mm -hmm. with an advisor. So the components of learning are three. Interest number one, which is why the kids are bored, Right. right? It has to be interesting and relevant to them. Number two, they, um, they have to have relationship. We're, we're humans. Humans are open systems. We need to explore, connect, whatever outside of ourselves in order to understand who we are and how we fit in, right? And what we want to do, that, that whole exploration. And then the third thing is we need safety. And this is not just physical safety, which unfortunately so many kids are in that situation, both either at home or at school, uh, but also emotional safety that you belong. Mm -hmm. And quite frankly, the system itself devalues belonging because you must fit in. And that's that's the crux, right, of what dehumanizes us is that we can't fully belong as we are and these new programs that are coming up with these te- it's led by teachers i mean you have moonshot i mean there's so many people on board that i'm like hey i'm not weird anymore you know <laughs> i mean it, it is so exciting yeah. to see what's happening and then uh and parents know it they just didn't know what to do and this this nostalgia and this 
feeling like, well, I did that and it worked for me, mm-hmm. but it was a different era. Yeah. It was a different area and it really never worked for everybody, quite frankly, mm-hmm. especially those who um, are, I don't, want, I don't want to use my word minority because they're not, they're, mm-hmm. they're people of color and they're people that, that can be empowered and valuable contributors to society. And we've literally institutionalized mm-hmm. uh, them in a different way. Mm-hmm. And so how do we break that up as parents? Right. How do we decide that um, that we have a role in this and we don't turn it over to an institution who's going to prepare our kids for life, which guess what? Didn't work, right? right? We've done a terrible job, mm-hmm. if I can say that loud. Terrible. <laughs> Historians will not be kind to us. Right. Okay. Uh, we have tried to treat our kids like they are programmable objects rather than unique human beings. Mm -hmm. And I think that as parents, when parents say, well, what do you think I should do? What what should I do? I'm like, first of all, you get a life because (laughs) the only thing you can do is model for your children. Uh, And Viktor Frankl said this, Mm -hmm. the professor had asked him, well, how do the professors, you know, teach the kids values and teach them these things? Says you can't teach values. Values have to be lived. Mm -hmm. They learn through living. And so you can hopefully inspire it, uh, you can hopefully create the environments that allow it, but you can't impose it on somebody else because even though our kids are, this is the um, uh, the uh, poem I have on about children on my website, which is kids are through us. They're not ours. They belong to life itself. They belong to the future of life. They are unique individuals, even though they came through us. Okay. So if we start looking at our kids like that, then get a life is one piece of advice. The other piece of advice is be the learner. Mm. Who is this child? How do I create the environment? Uh, Alexander um, Denheiser has my favorite poem, uh, poem, uh, not poem, quote, Mm -hmm. which is when a flower is not blooming, we don't focus on fixing the flower. We fix the environment the flower is located in. Okay. All our kids are not, you know, they're roses and dandelions and orchids and whatever. Okay, how do we create the soil and the richness and allow the, the, um, the things that are going to happen in a garden that you have no control over, the weather, the pesticide, you know, how do we just create as best an environment as we can that allows them to become whatever flower they are? And that we honor that and we teach them to honor other flowers, mm-hmm. right? Because the ecosystem isn't what we've done to our environment by having five kinds of, of um, farming crops. You know, we need this, you know, the earth needs this multi, um, you know, multi-species biome mm-hmm. that is how we coexist. So how do we do that? But I see so many exciting changes. I uh, am even looking at these micro schools, right? Yeah. So when you can't turn it over, and you can't silo your kids to go into the next silo to go into the next silo because those systems are broken down, right? Right. And the responsibility can't be handed over because you're in your home and in your community. What do you do? You band together. So now we have micro schools mm-hmm. where people are like, okay, I'm going to get together with a couple other families and I'm going to keep my 10 to make sure I don't get the um, exposure too much. And uh, I'm going to be the guide on the side, not the sage in the stage, right? Yeah. Because we can't keep up with the content. Right. 
even if you sent every teacher out into the world, number one, they would only know their area. But number two, by the time they're back, it's done. The contents, it's changed so fast. I mean, Mm -hmm. we already have a new system. (laughs) So how do we uh, guide? And this is, again, the programs like Big Picture Learning. Like, there's so many... um, do you follow Tom Vanderark with Getting Smart, where he no. talks about all these exciting programs, the Iowa Big program mm-hmm. he was talking about, and right. uh, you have Education Reimagined yes. that is, is highlighting all these schools. So these models, the, 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 the thing is, and I, I just have a, a blog I reposted, we have a generation of students that are caught between two worlds. Mm-hmm. So we have this old structured corporate economy, institutionalized systems that we've had for a long time. Mm -hmm. Well, now with the advent of the internet and globalization, those systems are crumbling. And the new ones are just now being formed by all of us who are out there going, hey, we gotta (laughs) come up with with new solutions and we can't turn it over. This isn't a policy, this is a grassroots uh, effort of honoring each and every individual child and they're just now getting formed. So we're all in this in-between messy stage with our kids that 20 years from now we'll be going, phew, can't believe we made it through that, right? But the only way is, again, the Viktor Frankl premises. His, mm-hmm. his premise is for logotherapy and finding meaning is that we, there's meaning always. Mm-hmm. There's always meaning in all conditions, all circumstances. Yeah. Number two, we are motivated. To find the as human beings, we are motivated to to find meaning. And then the third thing is that um, so we're motivated. We have the freedom of choice at mm-hmm. all times, even if it's the choice of our attitude. So you have these principles, and we are beginning to awaken to this. And it's uh, but we've decided. Um, that homeostasis, just making everything where kids don't have tension in their lives and de-stressing. Mm-hmm. But guess what? In the spirit, the goals, the setting of goals, it has to have tension. Yeah. It's what propels us future forward. It's what evolves us as a species. Okay? So it's so exciting. <laughs> I mean, I'm having a ball with it because it was like all of a sudden my intuition as a mom my intuition as a a person as i'm watching my kids go through these systems that i was like whoa and then now to be able to take that messaging and bring it to a modern audience which Mm -hmm. is the purpose of the victor franklin institute of america the films i'm doing the book um the book will be out next month yeah but then then comes this film series yeah which is based on you know, Viktor Frankl, an abnormal reaction mm-hmm. to an abnormal situation mm-hmm. is normal behavior. So we're focusing on, we're medicating our kids to stay in the system. We're mm-hmm. diagnosing them, labeling them, everything. So we're, their reaction to this, we're trying to solve for. Right. But we're not looking at the situations that are driving the reactions. They're normal. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Many of these are normal. You were stressed out when you feel trapped, when you are mm-hmm. hopeless. Mm-hmm. When you do not feel like you are, you feel like you're an irreplaceable object, not a person who has an irreplaceable role in life. Mm-hmm. Okay? So this film series is all about that, Meaning and Madness. 
that's coming out that we, you know, we, yes. um, the first one is, is about education. I got to tell you, I'm <laughs> super excited about this. We had this conversation. We know somebody who is knighted, who is yeah. a huge fan is involved in this, but yeah, go, go deep into that, um, uh, as much as you can, because it's, it's, it's in its infant stages. Um, yes. I'm really excited about this. Yeah, tell yeah. the audience about yeah. this. Yeah, so we, we had Ken, uh, Sir Ken Robinson yes. join our team. And it's super, I mean, number one, a thought leader, but not only him, his daughter, yeah. uh, Kate. Uh, and and uh, she has the Never Gray. Her story is so inspiring. She is equally as impressive uh, in her story of being in the system as a youngster uh you know not youngster a teenager mm -hmm. and her parents actually pulled her out of the system mm -hmm. when she was 16 allowed her to be who she was recognizing what was happening uh in that system so i have such admiration even more if it's possible <laughs> because he gave me validation as a parent right i thought gosh you know again the whole time when you swim upstream from what everybody's doing you know you're kind of like this is what my gut's telling me this is what i yep. believe mm -hmm. but Suddenly, I see his TED Talk, which, by the way, is 65 million views yeah. now, number one TED Talk in the world, world yeah. about do skill, uh, you know, do schools kill crea uh, creativity, creativity and yeah. then also bringing on the learning revolution, his books, um, the element very similar to Meeting with Viktor Frankl. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, wow. You know, just how fun is that? And so, yeah, so we're in the, the infant stage of the film. The film um, was just, uh, the first film was on education mm -hmm. um, and the system itself and, you know, the impact that it's having on students everywhere mm -hmm. uh, using the princi principles of the, you know, and it's not a cure-all. Logotherapy is not a cure-all. Right. It is just a process for those who are suffering through, because there's many people who need different kinds of help. So I do want to put that caveat in here that this is right. not do this and it's fine. I mean, there's other factors and, and things that affect uh, children, mm -hmm. but it is uh, hope. It is hope. Um, and so the, the premise of this is that is to say, hey, you know, if we begin to look at them as individuals, if we begin to honor them, we begin to teach them to listen to themselves and make decisions mm -hmm. and to challenge. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, our education system is predicated on conformity, mm -hmm. compliance. You can't even go to the bathroom without raising your hand. <laughs> right. And individual achievement. Mm -hmm. Everybody is uh, your competitor. Mm -hmm. Not and yet throughout human history, and we're seeing this now in so many research that's just saying, wait a minute, wait, we got it wrong. That whole Darwin <laughs> thing, he uses the word love so many more times than fittest. The fittest is actually, there was just a research study I saw the, uh, the other day that was pretty interesting, that it really was those who could collaborate best mm -hmm. to survive. Right. Those who were the, the, the ones who were able to collaborate to move our species forward and evolve. And mm -hmm. Uh, how that works in different species as well. So, um, and and one of my favorite parts of Viktor Frankl is his, uh, you know, call for monoanthropism, mono mm. which is one mankind, yeah. that we are one human species made up of lots of different kinds of people and that we cannot look at each other as a race, a creed, a you know, any of that mm -hmm. because we're all individuals mm -hmm. and we're all human beings so we have to interact human to human so um so if we start with that then the then our decision is to allow our kids to struggle mm -hmm. as they search 
Um, I use the acronym READ. We have to teach our children to read, yeah. which is our responsibility is their responsibility to figure it out. Mm-hmm. Ours to guide them, ours to do the things in our power to uh, you know, connect them or connect with others. E is exploration. Mm-hmm. You're not gonna be able to do it. Doing a test, studying for tests, <laughs> putting content in your head that's already outdated. It's not gonna happen, okay? <laughs> and uh, uh, A, adaptability. Mm-hmm. There was a futurist who was, uh, parents were saying, well, what do we do? Like embrace uncertainty. Yes. This is the real world. Yeah. Yeah. This is the real world. Real world is uncertain. Yeah. Real world doesn't have a bubble answer. Real world is many answers, mm-hmm. right? Uh, right now I'm taking a class, uh, Joe Bowler, U-Cubed. It's called 20, 21st Century Teaching and Learning. Mm-hmm. Whoa, <laughs> fabulous. Same thing. Everybody's unique. Every brain's different. Every day you wake up with a new brain. And if yeah. you're not making mistakes and struggling, guess what? You're not learning. Right, right. Right. So memorizing and regurgitating doesn't make your synopsis fire or connect or wire or do anything like that. Mm-hmm. That happens when you're like, oh, I hate this. What do I do now? But you own it. That agency right. which our kids don't have. Right. Yeah. We don't give them agency. We can't challenge a teacher on a subject. Right. Right. You can't say I disagree. Mm-hmm. You know how many kids uh, my daughter was even she was uh, in a college class. And um, she invited some some friends from the class home, and this girl was saying, "Oh, by the way, Rachel, everything I say in class isn't true. I just want to get a good grade." <laughs> it's so true, though. That is so true. Wow. There's so much and truth. And so to that. we we've conditioned. It's this conditioning for behavior. Yeah. yeah. Right. And so here we are. And what's even more um, interesting is when you look at this conditioning process and this competitive process in a world where our era has changed. Mm-hmm. We have changed in the last 15 years dramatically mm-hmm. in how we work, how we live, how we play, how we learn, everything, yeah. right? And we have all these new things, but we're like elephants who got, you know, when they're babies, they get the little rope tied around their leg and they mm-hmm. don't feel that they're that powerful, so they just kind of stay stuck when yeah. it's on their leg, mm-hmm. okay? Woo, <laughs> break those chains, right? <laughs> because the world is, um, I call it the Gutenberg Bible moment that we've, we've had, mm-hmm. which is Gutenberg Bible yep. uh, changed the world because it allowed people to read. It was the mm-hmm. first printing press. It put mobile uh, letters in place that they could mass produce books. Right. And prior to that, you were dependent on who was in the pulpit telling you the interpretation, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Well, fast forward to the internet. Right. Anything you want to learn. Can you, you imagine, can like, what if Viktor Frankl had the internet? Oh, gosh. <laughs> Woo! Yes. Yes. I mean, I think that, uh, imagine, you know, I mean, but the thing is, is that we now are able to talk, explore, build community. community. I talk about it as, like, we're the pioneers. Yeah. We're in an entirely, entirely new era that is global, yeah. that is digital. And this is why I, I say teachers who, by the way, are... Thank you for what you do. They are the most inspiring people possible. They, you don't get into this profession because you want to be a gazillionaire and you want to do all this no, stuff. No. But they become vessels strictly for producing content. Mm-hmm. They have to work within these frameworks that they know. They want the relationships, but we're moving the kids through. No time, no time, <laughs> right? Because that's the objective, and it's how they earn their living. It's yeah. what they're judged by. And it's the cultural acceptance of their students. Yeah. 
So for me, I look at teachers as the same way I look at social workers. Mm -hmm. I do a lot of volunteering in the foster system. Mm -hmm. Disempowered, underpaid, critical. Mm -hmm. Okay, so now with these new opportunities, what happens with educators as they have new forums? They have to upskill because they can't teach content anymore. Mm -hmm. They have to learn to be, you know, as we said, the guide on the side and um, and help, which is again, the model of big picture learning, who, by the way, started doing all this and still does in areas that are not privileged, mm-hmm. you know, but their model is applicable everywhere. Mm-hmm. I mean, so super exciting stuff happening <laughs> around all that. And uh, it's fun to finally be able to talk, discuss, and uh, really allow people um to, to just begin to question because right. really it's not about answers anymore and mm-hmm. nor do I have the answer for every child nor do mm-hmm. I have the answer for my children. Yeah. Uh, uh, it really is this, what? Because it was <laughs> father knows best, right? Yeah. Yeah. Guess yeah. what? We don't know best because we grew up in a different time mm-hmm. and now we have this new era where that corporate ladder is crumbling. Right. Right. So instead of having the corporate ladder where you need to just have the pedigree, Mm -hmm. we now need competency. And now you see what's happening at the competency versus pedigree Mm -hmm. because this whole new college, you need training after high school. Exactly. Mm -hmm. But I believe high school should not be what high school is today. High school should be that point where where they're allowing themselves the decision making in the community and that their experience in the community and they're developing their own irreplaceability in some sector that they're interested in and that matters to them. Yes. And they're bringing that to the table. This is the other thing we can't have discourse. And we had a, um, in our family, we did dinner. Dinner was sacred, mm-hmm. right? So in a world where sports happens after school, tutoring, homework, whatever, again, comes down to the value system. Mm-hmm. We talked about everything at that kitchen table. Even yeah. things that were different from what Paul and I wanted. We're like, whoa, where did that come from? <laughs> but if we don't teach our kids to be able to express their thoughts and what they're thinking at that time, if we don't learn to listen to them and listen to us and be challenged, and I have to tell you, my opinion got probably changed more than theirs did on some <laughs> of this stuff, right? And I'm like, oh, wow, didn't think of it that way. Right. But now, as we're new pioneers and we're just leaving New York, we're just heading west. We got, we got only it's virtual, right? Our landscape right. is virtual. It's not physical, but we're able to form new communities and connections all over the world, mm-hmm. right? We are able to learn and define for a circle the wagons, but we need each other. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No longer the isolated, um, nuclear family where the mom and the dad, and the kids, mm-hmm. we have to be, we need the tribe. You know, yeah. we've, we've, uh, Johan Hari of Lost Connections, which if you haven't read that book, it's probably one of the best books <laughs> I've ever read. And he, he is really questioning a lot of this. He says, that, and he talks about depression in that book, mm. is Lost Connections. He says seven out of the nine causes of the depression are the way we live. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Is how we're isolated. Right. You know, how we feel shame if we are different and don't, you know, whatever. What happens if we began to listen to each other? Mm-hmm. You've got to learn discourse. It's not happening in our colleges. Right, right. Right, because if it's not something that the college agrees, then you can't hear it. Mm-hmm. But what we need to do is be debating it. 
Yes. Getting to from every side. This is this is so critical that we have these discussions mm -hmm. with all different people, which now guess what? We can form those communities. Right. We can join together. What we need to do now is bring it down to earth where our virtual and our physical are um, together, which is what's happening in some micro schools, a bit like you're talking about gap programs, mm -hmm. you're talking about uh, self-directed learning things, where somebody is a facilitator learning alongside. How fun and exciting for teachers of the future. Oh, man. Right? And there was a congressman that said, what happens if we took that 15000 per student and even if we just gave ten thousand per student, mm -hmm. that those teachers make a hundred thousand dollars. Right. You know, we right. pay them. They're empowered, but they're they have to upskill because they can't mm -hmm. teach the way they were taught to teach. Yeah. Right. right. So it's kind of like what happened when uh, you, you expand as far as you can go with the system. So like the landlines. Right. Mm -hmm. right. So phone landlines. That was such a revolutionary thing. We could talk to each other, but then we became global. And we couldn't landline across all the oceans. So what did we do? We did not double down on landlines. Mm -hmm. We went, started a new system called the cellular network, yeah. right? Based on the new technology. Mm -hmm. And that's where we are right now. We've got to build this cellular network mm -hmm. of educators and learners and community and business people, the rate, you know, so that everybody can be empowered. Right. Uh, the Christensen Institute, um, they, but there's a, oh gosh, I'm so sorry, I forgot the guy's name. They wrote, he wrote a book, uh, it's called The Prosperity Paradox, where mm -hmm. they studied a lot what was going on in Africa. And just giving people food and saying that eradicates poverty doesn't solve it. We right. need to empower mm -hmm. prosperity. Mm -hmm. We need to empower people to learn. And now we have all these systems that are democratizing, democratizing education mm -hmm. uh, that are allowing anyone to learn anything at a relatively low cost or to utilize that as a framework for, for uh, helping other people learn. Yes. We just, uh, Tim Salau, Mr. Future of Work, uh, he has the guide app, which is, he's fabulous. Yeah. And it is all about that. It's all about these small bite-sized uh, learning pieces from creators. And then it's $120 a year, Yeah. you know? And you have Udacity. You can learn all these incredible stuff for, you know, I don't know what the fees are now, seven, you know, that are new collar, mm -hmm. right? This whole idea is a four-year degree for computer science. Okay, you're outdated. Yeah, right. Right? So there was a study by a guy, um, David Deming, out of Harvard, and he studied the STEM majors over the past, you know, 10, 15 <laughs> years. And he does this study, and he's like, gosh, you know, they come out, they're making 69000 average mm -hmm. compared to 47000 for your, you know, average piece of paper <laughs> and but within a few years their income drops and within 10 years 58 percent are out of the industry mm -hmm. why because you can't you've got to upskill you got to have right. those skills right. it's changed too fast mm -hmm. so uh so there's exciting stuff happening there too there's yeah. another guy out of our, you know just so much i mean oh gosh you know i can go on and on well, i mean it's it's wonderful because i think we met and and you know I've been doing disrupt education for about five years now. As a matter of fact, I was lucky enough to go to Switzerland and see Sir Ken Robinson speak in a education uh, forum in Davos. And it, that's where it all started. It started with design thinking. And, and the question was simple to students or young people. They were, what would you want your school to look like? And, you know, through all of these things, you're right. I, I love the fact that 
all of us are getting together and we're trying to, okay, what is, how is this going to morph? And there isn't one all be all. There's several different pieces because we're all human. I love the messaging. Um, I, I cannot wait to see this thing come out. I don't know when it's going to come out. Your book comes out in August 2020. But I do want to give, as, as we start to wrap up here, I want to make sure that we give people a place to find Pamroy's blog and yes. you and how, because I know we have several, even, even my own family where, you know, change is tough. You know, we're having these conversations with our kids. Um, I have a, a child in middle school and a, a child in high school and, and they're upset, you know, and, and this change and how, how do people, cause your blog, it really is really a kind of, it's not, you know, an instruction guide, but it, but it gives you options to, to, to take a look at these different angles. Where can people find and, it, Pam? Yeah, so it's pamroyblog.com uh, is that. And then I'm, you know, Facebook, I have Pam Roy Blog Facebook page where I regularly post articles about all kinds of alternative different schools and learning and, you know, exciting stuff that's happening with kids who are graduating high school with an AA degree, a skill, because they're marrying both the um, educational piece and the end. Um, and the real world piece. I think the thing is, is today we need the honoring the human, the individual self-directed, as well as the real world exposure that all of us need to mentor up. Yeah. Uh, so Pam Roy blog. And then I also have a podcast queued up with Ziz and Pam. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's about um, where we just started having conversations. And now we've just started uh, actually this week inviting people to have more conversations about it. But um so really, that's that's it, and it's just about being a part of the conversation. I call myself the pebble in a pond. <laughs> uh, my job is just to kind of throw it out there and give food for thought, respecting that every house is different. People are under different kinds of circumstances. Mm -hmm. So you know, giving grace to all of us who are trying to figure this out and who are unmoored not only from what is happening, but our expectations. Yeah. You know, those expectations that if I just get my kids through school, get them to college, they're going to have a great life. That is not real. Mm -hmm. And we have to blow that up because the reality on the ground is that long trajectory. I wrote a blog about this, the dollars and cents of college, you know, which is starting when they're in preschool, which by the way, you know, a million kids under the age of five are Medicaid for anxiety mm -hmm. all the way through the system that keeps structuring them, structuring them, structuring them, and then all the way through the college thing. So it's a long, costly, yeah. you know, test prep, mm -hmm. you know, all of this. And I can say just from experience, and I will say this because my girls are 19, 21, and 23. Uh, they uh, were average students. Mm -hmm. They um, didn't take a lot of AP classes. Um, my first one took one senior year, my, my last one was like, all my friends are doing it. I got to do it. I'm like, fine, but you know what? You still got to be out doing, you know, dinner with the, you know, grandmas and, yeah. you know, out in the community working a job or whatever. And, you know, if you want to take it, okay. So, mm -hmm. you know, I've had to adjust for each one, but I'm like, it's standardized testing, mm -hmm. you know? And, um, so it's just honoring them yeah. and, um, as they're trying to fit into society and they're trying to fit in with their friends who are all drinking the Kool-Aid too. And they don't want to be different. Like mom, don't talk about education with your parents, please. <laughs> you know? And I'm like, <laughs> I'm to do it, man. I'm an evangelist. I'm like, hello people, <laughs> you know, cause I care so much about the kids. My right. motivation is, um, you know, the health and wellness 
of all, well, all, but particularly youth. And, and really what came to light was the um, working, I worked with foster youth and volunteered a lot with foster youth. And I'm like, gosh, only less than 3% go to college. How are they going to do this? Mm-hmm. And, you know, depressed, medicated, anxiety, stuck in a system yeah. that they can't get out of. And then all of a sudden at the uh, higher income achieving, higher achieving schools, they're now considered at risk. Sunia mm-hmm. Luther does uh, these studies where she was going to try and solve for the poverty, found out that they are higher risk of anxiety, depression, so than kids that are living in poverty because mm. they have no control over their lives. Right, right. Okay, so all our kids are at risk, mm-hmm. right? I mean, that's not to say that there's not a population right now in terms of uh, people of color that is not the one we're, you know, whatever. I'm right. just saying that um, I believe that, that we have to look at the system and what's doing to all our children right. that I hope benefits and raises uh, everybody up um, with particular emphasis in these areas that have been left behind. Nothing like a pandemic and a social justice and an election all at the same time (laughs) to disrupt the whole entire education system, right? (laughs) That's right, it's it's 2020. Pam, I wanna thank you so much for being here with us on uh, Disrupt Education. Um, The book comes out uh, in August, uh, so it's coming soon. probably early next year awesome yes Uh, film next year we will definitely have another podcast there on that um can't wait to see that thank you so much for uh, hanging out with us today on disrupt education loved it love talking about thank you so much peter all right thank you so much listeners we'll be back next time on disrupt education